You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles. We're back in uh, the book of Psalms now. I told you that the Lord just kind of directed me in that way. And as I've been reading through the Psalms, when the Lord speaks to me, I've been uh, pausing and jotting down some notes and then using that to be my source of a sermon on Sunday night. Psalm 126. Psalm 126. While you're turning there, how many already know what that's about? Psalm 126. Hmm. Yeah. Psalm 126. Now you know. (laughs) Um. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed. That's uh, it's been one of my favorites down through the years. I've heard songs sung about the psalm and um, has a, a lot of meaning to it. And um, again, during one of my morning devotions, just reading through that, it, God really spoke to my heart and, and uh, blessed and, and fed me tremendously. And I'll just try to be able to share with you some of the thoughts the Lord gave me. Now, before we read this psalm, I would ask you to go over to Ezra, holding your place here now, go back over to the book of Ezra, about five books to the left. Everybody there? So you'll You'll uh, be familiar enough, I'm thinking, because we've talked about it so much, how Israel had wandered from God and gone into captivity, and now the time of their captivity is over, and God is using a heathen king, um, basically, some believe he may have been saved, but to be able to declare uh, the freedom and the liberty from their 70-year captivity, this is how it was done, and I want you to notice it with me in Ezra chapter 1. Look in verse 2. We'll read down to verse 4. It says in verse 2 of chapter 1, Thus saith Cyrus king of Persia, The Lord God of heaven hath given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he hath charged me to build him an house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Who is there among you of all his people? Now he's talking to the captives. His God be with him, and let him go up to Jerusalem, or go on back now to your old homeland, which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord God of Israel. He is the God which is in Jerusalem, and whosoever remaineth in any place where he sojourneth, let the men of his place help him with silver and with gold and with uh, goods and with beasts beside the freewill offering for the house of God that is in Jerusalem. Now go over to chapter 6. Same book. And in chapter 6, drop down to verse 2. And we'll read down to verse 5 there. And read uh, more of the details of their release, okay? Chapter 6 and verse 2. And there was found at Akmetha in the palace, that is in the province of the Medes, a roll. And therein was a record thus written. In the first year of Cyrus, the king... um, In the first year of Cyrus the king, the same Cyrus the king made a decree concerning the house of God at Jerusalem. Let the house be builded, 
the place where they offered sacrifices. And let the foundations thereof be strongly laid, the height thereof threescore cubits, and the breadth thereof threescore cubits, with three rows of great stones and a row of new timber, and let the expenses be given out of the king's house. Wow. Uh, Verse 5, And also let the golden uh, and silver vessels of the house of God, which Nebuchadnezzar took forth out of the temple, which is at Jerusalem, and brought into Babylon, be restored and brought again unto the temple, which is at Jerusalem, everyone to his place, and place them in the house of God. Now, there's the decree, there's the cry. God is now, flip over to Psalms now, if you will, Psalm 126. God has basically told them um, through the reigning king at that time, hey, you guys are free, and anybody that wants to go back can now go back and rebuild you know, the house of God, the temple, and so forth. And uh, we're going to help provide all you're going to need for that. It really is an amazing decree from God. So that's been said and done. And now, uh, back here in Psalm 126, there's a psalm written about that time, what it was like when the children of Israel heard that this, hey, we're free. And uh, it was an amazing thing to them. So now, listen to their words in Psalm 126 and verse 1. When the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion, we were like them that dream. You have to kind of get into their mindset a little bit, guys. Then was our mouth filled with laughter and our tongue with singing. Then said they among the heathen, all the people that they were held in captivity with, the Lord hath done great things for them. And they shouted that. It was wondrous to them. Uh, Verse 3 again, the Lord hath done great things for us whereof we are glad. I mean, that is an understatement uh, sometimes when we read that, and yet it's said with great joy. You need to know that. Verse 4, Turn again our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless Come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. And we'll pause there and pray. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege again to be in the Word of God. And as we are preaching through this tonight, God, I'm asking for your Holy Spirit to open our eyes of understanding and that we could remember and think back and remember times of God's goodness to us and to be minded of what kind of things God uses in this life to bring around some freedom from some uh, places of captivity we may have been in. So bless, I'm asking you to help in this message tonight. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So it is truly, honestly, an amazing thing to have been released. I, I know that a week or so ago, the little, um, what was the little Kloss girl that was found? Was it Amy? Jamie Kloss? And she was found, uh, was that... What state was that in? Wisconsin? I believe it was up in Wisconsin. Really, I doubt if there's many in here that thought she might have still been alive uh, because usually after you go past a certain point, um, the the percentage of those whose lives have been taken is really pretty high. And so for that little girl, 13 years old, to come uh, running out of that house and to make it up through the the, whatever the set of woods and up onto that road and uh, 
to have an ex-social worker just to happen to be walking her dog along there to find her. <clears throat> I got chill bumps reading the story. I, I really did. It just, uh, it really, uh, when I read stories like what was going on and how she had been taken or any other kind of story similar to that, I always just pause and pray a little bit and ask for God's uh, grace and deliverance. And I've prayed that many, many times. And every now and then you see something like this happen. And um, it's stunning. And God only knows what happened in captivity. But God only knows now what can happen from this point on. A whole lot of healing, a whole lot of um, vision for her future. I, I've read many stories of uh, the, the young ladies um, that were in captivity by their, I believe it was their own dad, and um, then they found out about it, and the dad took him to jail, and he committed suicide, and now the girls are free, and it's just, the stories are amazing. <clears throat> I, I can only imagine when they finally got to the place where they sat down, and they realized there's no way now that that guy can now get back to me. I'm truly safe. I can just only imagine what the feeling must have really been like. Truly amazing. I'm free. And to know the, the liberty that they had. And I, and I can understand when they would break down and just weep because of what they had been through. And now that somehow some miracle had happened and they're now released. Really amazing stories. None less in the feeling as far as the passage we read about tonight. Seventy years of captivity. And I want to show you the, the reaction to God's deliverance when God's people were delivered. It, it's, it, uh, they tell us in verse, look at it in verse 1 and 2. It tries to describe it for us. And it says, when the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion, we were like them that dream. Is this really real? Uh, then was our mouth filled with laughter and our tongue with singing. Then said they among the heathen, the Lord hath done great things for them. They shouted it amongst their captors, what God had done for them. As you guys know, uh, much of the prophecy of the Old Testament is full of God's warnings of judgment to the nation of Israel. Over and over, I, I've used this many times, and I've talked about it many times, but over and over God tried to warn them about what uh, could come if they don't really begin to worship the true God. Israel had experienced the blessings of God like no other nation on the face of the earth. Truly, they had. If you just walk with them out of Egypt, remembering the ten plagues and remembering the, the waters of the Red Sea and remembering the, the waters gushing out of the rock and, uh, and the manna from heaven and the quails coming in. I've been through this not too many weeks ago, how God had blessed them in unbelievable ways, the milk and the honey that surrounded them. And in spite, guys, of all the blessings that... Uh, had been given to them, somehow they were still drawn to the false gods of the nations around them. I've told you what they would do. They would go to the temple in the daytime, and many of them, not all of them obviously, but many of them going to the temple for the true and living God would then go home in their own tents, pull a cover back, and pull out a little image of a small G God, set it up, and light a candle or whatever they would do, and worship that little God. It was unbelievable that they could have so much and still be so wrong in, in so many ways. And, 
God knows what our lives are like. Do we understand that tonight? That it's one thing for you to come to the house of God and worship God and praise the Lord and be genuine and real before everybody here. But God knows what is, uh, you know, under the cover, so to speak, at our house where we uh, really live and what's behind the doors and what really does go on. And God watched Israel, and God knew what they were doing, and they would not listen to the prophets. They killed the prophets, they stoned the prophets, and God said, that's enough. And he sent them into captivity for 70 years. 70 years, guys. Can anybody stop and really think about going into captivity for 70 years? Um, I was there one time myself, one time. I must have been about seven years old. I remember very distinctly this day. Spring had sprung. The robins were back, chirping outside. The woods were out there waiting on me to come and play in the creek and catch the snakes and the frogs. I was excited. I must have been overly excited because all I remember happening that day was my mom saying to me, Philip Lee Spencer, good things never happen when you have a third um, name called out to you. You're grounded for the entire summer. And to a seven-year-old, that's 70 years of captivity. I promise you, I was just waiting to run outside and, and all of the world was waiting on me to come and be its great adventure house. I was so ready and I just stared outside and I, I remember, seriously, standing at the back window, just looking outside, crying. I cried and I cried and I talked to my mom. You know, I don't remember what I did. I don't know what I did. I, it must have been really, really bad. The whole summer, I've been grounded. And uh, in about an hour, my mom came back to me. This wasn't right. You know this was not right to do. But she came back to me and said, all right, Philip, you're never going to do that again? No, I'll never do that again. I'm sure I've never done that thing again. But I was, I was set free. I was free, man. I could go outside, and I took off like a rocket outside and could not wait. I mean, 70, 70 years, though, guys, that's, that's a lifetime. And I'm sure many of them died in captivity. I'm sure many grandmas and grandpas who would have loved to have seen their grandchildren grow up passed off the scene in a foreign country, horrible, ugly place. You don't know their language and, and their ways. And it was, it was a, a bad, bad time for Israel. And with all that time to think and to recall just how good they had it, for 70 years, they sat there and thought about, man, God really was good to us, and, and things were really better than we could have ever imagined. How could we have ever thought about, you know, worshiping false gods and, and being so disobedient, and maybe the very hands that threw the stones that killed the prophets were standing there thinking, how could we have done something like this? We had it so good, and to realize what a fool they had been to scorn the God of heaven, and they mourned and they cried for years to be able to, to go back home. Why are we left here where we're at? It's a, it's a horrible time. And my little tears at the back window for about an hour would, compare to, uh, uh, would not compare to any uh, of the feelings and the heartache that these people had for 70 years. But when that decree finally went out, it, it truly was unbelievable news to them. I mean, look at verse 1 again. When the Lord turned the cap turned again the captivity of Zion, we were like them that dream. I mean, it was uh, really unbelievable. Have you ever had something totally unbelievable really happen to you? I mean, 
I know you've been waiting for Ed McMahon to come to the door, balloons and the big fat check to sign with your name on it, and everybody's waited for that, but uh, I know nobody here's ever had that happen because your tithe has not obviously come in yet. Pay the church off and everything else. But, I mean, have you ever had something totally unbelievable, so good, happen to you after such a horrible, horrible thing that had happened prior to that? Um, I know that most of you were not here many years ago, but I'm just going to tell you again that when I first became the pastor, and and I know I've told this many times, I'm going to just tell it again, uh, that our church was in major debt, and we were a small handful of people at that time. We were, our church was sitting where Shopco now sits on the corner of uh, 10th Street and Sycamore Avenue, and uh, we, we, a little bit further to the south from that, but we were in what was major debt to us, and we, there was no way that we were going to really be able to pay off all the debt that we had. Um, we had, I had widows coming to my door almost weekly. We had uh, a bond, we had sold bonds uh, to build the building that we were in, a metal building that we were in. And um, if you know anything about bonds, these were unsecured bonds. Um, and so when it came time for those bonds to mature and they could come and cash them in, uh, they could come and ask for their money and we're supposed to present the money. And I remember the knocks on the door and I'd open the door and there'd be this little widow at the door. I can't tell you how many times this happened. And she would come walking in, introduce herself. I'd have, ask her to have a seat right there. And I'd sit down and she'd introduce herself and she'd pull out this envelope. And after the second one, I realized what was going on. She'd open it up. She says, well, I've got a bond here that I bought. And, and uh, we, uh, me and I'm, I'm a widow now. I mean, those are the words. We're, I'm a widow now. My husband's long gone. I, I just draw Social Security. And, and the bond is mature. And I'm wondering if I could uh, cash this in. Guys, 29 cents wasn't going to pay him back. We just didn't have it. We just did not have it as a church. It was horrible. And I remember how I felt when I would uh, have to look at them in the eyes and tell them, ma'am, here's what I need to tell you. Right now we don't have the money, but I promise you, if you'll just give us a little time, we're going to pay you off. And uh, I didn't know how we was going to do that. I just knew we had a big God, and I knew God could do that. And we trusted him. I remember we had no way of paying our bills we, uh, at the church at the time. It was just a very difficult time. And so we took out all of our, the bills that our church owed and uh, laid them out on this big long table and we li- lined them up by denominations, how much uh, it was, uh, the, each bill was by, you know, something that was $10, the $25 ones, $100 ones, $250 ones. And we just said, if you can take one of those bills, if you're willing to adopt one of those, will you take one? And a little bit at a time, those bills started disappearing and people began paying the bills. And uh, God began to, to bless. Church slowly began to grow a little bit. And, uh, and then I got another knock on the door one day. And a guy walked in and he says, um, I'm, my name is Pat Beckman. I work for so-and-so uh, realtor company, and, and I said, wow, have a seat. I don't know why he's coming to talk to me. He said, uh, we're, we'd like to build a mall on the site where your church is right now, and we're wondering if you'd be willing to sell. I'm like, what? We're wanting to sell our building. Where are we going to go worship the Lord? And all? He's like, uh, he, um, 
So, Will, would you be willing to would you be willing to to sell your building to us? And I, I'm like, how much? I knew what our debt was. Uh, I'm 29 years old or 30 or something like that at the time. And um, he threw out a figure, and I brought it back to the deacons, and I went back to them. And and what it was the offer was was uh, just about enough for us to 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 get us out of debt, and then we'd walk away from the building with nothing to start all over again. Go buy land, go build a new building. And so he comes back a week or so later, knocks on the door. Well, have you got an answer for me? And, and I said, well, I was not going to be able to do that. He says, well, what were you hoping for? And I didn't have a figure in mind. I had no idea. I just knew what our debt was and what we, I didn't know what it was going to cost to buy land, build a building. And, and, and I said, I don't know. And he kept on and on and on. And he says, well, surely you got something in mind. I said, I don't know, a half a million dollars. I didn't say it quite like that. But I, I threw that out at him. And he bent over, slapped his knee, laughing at me. And says, well, we'll just go on to plan B. And I'm like, okay. Nice talking to you. I, I didn't, we weren't looking to sell anyway. We didn't want to give our building away. So we went to camp that year, and I remember coming back from camp, and a couple, three weeks later, guess what? Knock on the door. And uh, there was Pat Beckman again. He says, can I come in and visit again? I'm like, sure, why not? We'll throw figures around. And uh, so he looks at me, and he says, well, he says, you, you said uh, half a million. And I said, yeah. I'm like, what do you got? And... Uh, I remember him saying to me, well, plan B did not work out as good as we had hoped. And, um, and that, um, I can't remember if we had looked at the building down on Sycamore, the second building we were in, where Linwood Wesleyan had been by that time or not, I can't remember. But by the time the process had ended, what we had agreed to was this, that if they could get us out of that old building debt-free, and would put us into Linwood Wesleyan, guys, which was so much a more finished building than we had. I said, you got a deal. He said, I'll go to bat for you. I mean, I didn't have false teeth, but they fell to the ground. And um, so it went back, I ran back to the deacons. I mean, I'm just giddy. I'm like a little kid. Guys, we might get our debt paid off and just on and on. And, and um, so... I mean, it went through, and except for a $70,000 um, anomaly, I'll just call it that, which we had to pay off ourselves, was better than the, I can't remember if it was like a $250,000 debt, and some of you think, that's not much. Well, it was to a handful of people, a whole lot. And uh, we're able to pay that off. God blessed our building, our, our time there. We moved here, as you know. You guys know what... Um, God did for us here. You know the, uh, and I've been saying these things, the uh, million dollars that God gave to the church through a, through a man. You say, well, that was because of so-and-so. That was because of God. Uh, God knows how to bring people around. He knows where the needs are. And uh, I'm just saying that um, it was dreamlike, honestly. I'm not kidding. Like 30-year-old young preacher uh, and we, I remember us walking through that building and looking at it and seeing what God was, God was doing this. Honestly, I'm walking around like, is this a dream? Is this really happening? And, and we put in over a million dollars into the building payment. 
the building loan? It's like a dream. Who does that? I read about those things in books. Never had those happen to us. Forget Ed McMahon. We got God. Amen. Um, and it was just amazing. These Israelites, stunned, amazed at how great God had been to them and what God was doing for them. Uh, Israel was like that. Uh, they couldn't believe it. They, they said that they were like those who dream, except, guys, it wasn't a dream. You're really free. You really get to go free. And they were excited, and when it finally sunk in, the Bible said they laughed and they, and they sang. It was just an unbelievable time. You've seen where people are excited and they join arms and skip circles, and they're just so excited at what just happened to them. That's what they're like in this. <clears throat> so I want to show you their testimony at the end of verse 2. Look at it again. At the end of verse 2, the Lord hath done great things for them. Look at verse 3. The Lord hath done great things for us, whereof we are glad. I mean, they're excited now. They were crying to the Persian captors how great God had been to them. They said that the great things the Lord had done for them had made them glad. And that's what they were telling the lost people all around them. Uh, so can I just say this here tonight, guys? And I really want you to catch what I'm going to say here. It's a great day in the Christian's life when he realizes where their true source of gladness finally comes from. They finally recognize and realize this is where our source of gladness has been waiting all along. And we're excited. And they said it there at the, at the, uh, the end of, of verse 2 and the beginning of verse 3. The Lord hath done great things for us. They finally got it right. The day we grow to the point that we no longer look to the things that are around us uh, to give us the gladness in life will be a day of great freedom for you. The day you realize that just the right job or just the right whatever, just the right set of clothing or just the right friends or the, you know, just the right day, when you realize those are not the things that really makes you glad, it's God Almighty, like they said at the end of verse 2 and all of verse 3, God is the one that hath done great things for us. You'll be free in your heart like never before. Jesus told us very clearly in Luke 12, 15, that a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. It's not the things in my hands or in my pockets or the things I wish were in my pockets that makes me happy. And Israel struggled with this. They missed all those, you remember that, those physical things down in Egypt. We've named them numbers of times, the melons and the cucumbers and the garlics and the leeks. You know what a leek is? It's like an, uh, an onion-like vegetable. Um, by the way, anybody here ever had a blooming onion? Kind of understand a little bit why they were missing them a little bit. You ever had one of those blooming onions or an onion blossom or whatever it is those other places call them, deep fried in some kind of delectable batter? They must have known that back in that day. They missed those things. Israel loved the images of the gods around them. They did. They began to like the way they were all carved out, and they, they liked the way the heathens did this and that. And they began to look at how those other kingdoms had a, a king, a stately-looking king that sat on a throne, and he looked so majestic. And we don't have one of those. All we have is a, you know, a God up in heaven, and, and we don't have a guy to sit and, and walk up to and talk to. And, and they began to want a king. Do you remember that? And they began to desire things that they could see and touch and feel. 
But guys, listen, when God delivers us, he delivers us from the bondage of things. He sets us free in the liberty that we have in the Lord. 2 Corinthians 3.17, now where the Lord is that spirit, uh, now the Lord is that spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. God makes us free from the bondage of things that I've got to have to make me happy and glad. I mean, what a lesson for us here tonight if the things we can hold in our hands are what give us our joy and our motivation. God knows how to take those away from us, guys, until we realize that He is all we have ever needed in the first place. And if I'm holding on to things and thinking that it's these material things in my life that have really made me glad, and if I could just have, if I could just have more of them, and if I, I could just have my dreams met, and, and those things that I sit and dream about all the time, if I could just have those things in my hand, I would be really happy. I'm going to tell you, God knows how to take those away from us till we turn and look to the only true source of joy we ever had, and that was God. Can anybody else cry out with Israel and say, the Lord hath done great things for us, whereof we are glad in the Lord. It's when God is ruling in your heart, when He's the one uh, <clears throat> who we wait to fill the longing in our hearts. It's, uh, that's when blessings really come. Look at verse 4. Go back down there, 126.4. Turn again our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. When God is ruling your heart, He's the one who we wait to fill the longing of our hearts. What's these streams in the south? As the streams in the south turn our captivity, what's, what's that talking about? Well, down in the south, part of their country, the streams would dry up in the heat of the summer, and they would wait for the snow in the mountains to begin to melt, and for the coolness of those waters to come pouring back down and to fill those streams and those clear waters uh, to flow through those streams again. Israel had been dry, and spiritually they had been dry far too long, but now they stopped looking to the people of the lands around them, and like the psalmist, they now cried out. They also now say, as the song Kath played a while ago, I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills, from whence cometh my help. That's what they now say. It took 70 years of captivity. It took something to wake them up and to ring their bell to realize it wasn't the things that you had that were making you glad all along. It really was the God of heaven that was making you glad. Now, we will gladly look unto the hills from whence cometh my help to fill the southern streams in my heart that have grown so dry. And now look at their message. The new message they have is in verses 5 and 6 as we wrap this up tonight. Look in verse 5. Matter of fact, these are such good verses. Can we read verses 5 and 6 out loud together? Can you lift your voice up? There's, I know we're a little fewer in number tonight, so speak just a little bit louder. And let's read verses 5 and 6. The Bible says, They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Praise the Lord. Wonderful verses. People cry from a broken heart. I've told you of my sisters. I did okay at my mom's funeral until I heard my sisters breaking and how that broke my heart and I wept hard. Now that Israel understood their 
disrespect of their great God, once they realized how good God had been and how deceived they had been, man, it hit them hard and they wept. Many nights they wept. Throughout 70 years, it's my opinion, <clears throat> they wept many times throughout those years. Matter of fact, go to the right, probably one page, where we, and look at Psalm 137. Psalm 137, and look at this. Verse 1, here they're talking again by the rivers of Babylon. There we sat down, yea, we wept when we remembered Zion. This is while they're in captivity. For there they that carried us away captive required of us a, a song. And they that wasted us required a, of us mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How shall we sing the Lord's song? in a strange land if i forget thee o jerusalem let my right hand forget her cunning if i do not remember thee let my tongue cleave to the roof of my mouth if i prefer not jerusalem above my chief joy in other places the bible says they would take their harps that they used to play and play glad songs on and would just hang them on the weeping willows and left them laying there they lost their song they were broken because of what they had done against a great god I remember in elementary school how my elementary teacher used to tell me that she would teach the class that what the Indians used to do in, in early America uh, to help them to have good crops, one of the ways they would fertilize was they would, as they would plant a seed or a plant in the ground that they wanted to be nourished and grow up and, and uh, to produce a lot of fruit for them, they would uh, as they would dig the hole and drop the seed in the ground, they'd also drop a fish off to the side of that and cover up the seed and the fish. And they'd go along to the next hole and drop a seed and they'd have a fish and drop it in the hole. They'd go along to the next seed and they would drop the seed and drop a fish. And all along the way, I'm, I'm sure they weren't the big fish, they'd take them home for supper, I'm sure, but the smaller ones possibly, they would drop, uh, as they would sow a seed, they would drop a fish and walk along sowing a seed and dropping a fish and it would lay in the ground and it would rot and it would eventually turn into the fertilizer that would help the plant to grow and have a, a great crop for that year <clears throat> when Israel prayed here's what they were doing for 70 years they would carve out a hole in the ground so to speak in their heart and they would pray a prayer and drop a tear and as 70 years went on they'd pray a prayer and drop a tear they'd pray a prayer and drop another tear and as they sowed in tears as life went along eventually they were able to reap in joy and they came back with rejoicing and it took a long time it took 70 years for them because of how how bad it was for an entire nation. They were setting precedents for the nations ahead of them and on and on. And for 70 years, they would weep. They would cry to God like they were sowing and, uh, and tears would fall and they would cry to God like they were sowing seed, praying for God to hear and they would drop their tears and God would hear. And eventually, they that sowed in tears did reap in joy. He that went forth and wept, if I can put it this way, uh, bearing precious seed, requests and begging for God to do for them what only God could ever really do, 
dropping those requests in the soil, doubtless did come again with rejoicing. Now what are they bringing back with them? Sheaves on their, on their backs and on their shoulders, bringing them back to their families and dropping those sheaves on the ground that would feed them for years to come. Well, the sheaves they're talking about here is their freedom and their captivity uh, from their captivity and being able to go back home now and have their homeland again and, and go to the one and uh, only true God and worship the Lord. And how could something like that ever, ever happen? Listen, when a man's heart is so stirred that he weeps over his burden, God will hear the words of that prayer. I can promise you that. When a soul winner is so broken over the lost man that he weeps and cries out to God for him, he's closer to seeing that soul sprout for God. There is travailing before birth, and there's got to be brokenness before a harvest. The brokenness of our tears will draw a lost man to God. Notice how specific and how personal verse 6 begins, guys. Look at it. It's very personal. He that goeth. The man that goes forth like he just described will doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. I think the question for us tonight is, who will be that man? He, that person that goes forth bearing those precious seeds and carving out a hole of prayer before God, weeping and praying and begging for God to bless and to help. I think it will be an obvious thing to understand. Some of us in our congregation, the Johnson family, takes nothing to dig a hole and uh, plant a seed and uh, drop a tear, plant a seed and drop a tear. It's probably been going on for a long time with them. Who will be the one here tonight who is so burdened with the weight of some great bondage that you may have been in and will go to the Lord weeping for his deliverance, some great need that you may have, some strong desire that God would do something real in your life? Who would be that man who would weep for lost souls, maybe for the children of your Sunday school class or for their parents or someone that could come to know the Lord for the kids on your bus route, for the little ones you tuck in bed every night in your own house. So in tears, beg God with tears that God would do something great in the life of our children and our families and our spouses and ourselves. The promise is clearly stated that person shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. God will answer our prayer. He just does. It's in his time, and it's in his way, but God will answer. Please don't give up. Don't put God in some kind of a time capsule. He lives in eternity. Just sow and drop a tear. Sow and drop a tear, and Let's watch what God can do. And I wonder tonight if we've grown so cool, guys, in our relationship with God that we've lost that burden of tears for some victory in our life or in our ministry. Have we lost those desires that God could do great things for us or a family or whatever it might be?
We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.